Hello everybody, I'm Hank Wilson and welcome to episode 40 of the Hidden History of Texas. Now this episode concludes my discussion of the Cherokee. And before I get started, just a quick reminder, I have three audiobooks based on this series. They're all called The Hidden History of Texas. And you can find information about them at my website, uh, and that's https colon forward slash forward slash arctx dot org. That's arctx dot org. On the menu, under digital products, select audiobooks. You'll find them right there. Check them out. I'd appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Now, back to the Cherokee. Ever since Europeans had landed on the continent, the Cherokee had done their best to coexist. Unfortunately, their desire to live in peace on their ancestral lands conflicted with the new settlers' desire to own that same land. As a result, they were forced off of their land, and as I mentioned in the last episode, they arrived in what is now East Texas, where they lived in relative peace for a few years. They did their best to maintain neutrality when conflict started between the Anglo-Texans and the Mexican government. Now, after Texas achieved independence in 1836, Texas Republic President Sam Houston was a strong advocate for peace with all Texas tribes. He spent many hours working to keep the Cherokees as allies as he tried to negotiate treaties with the Apache, Comanche, and the Kiowa. Now, this even included the Cherokees agreeing in 1836 to send a company of 25 rangers to help patrol the land west of their settlements. Now, in 1837, Cherokee leader Duwali agreed to be the Republic's emissary to the Comanches. However, in 1838, relations began to fall apart after a raid on settlers in East Texas was blamed on a combined Cherokee and Mexican force. As he was getting ready to leave office, Houston once again tried to keep the peace between Texans and the Cherokees. He established a boundary that could have served as a real boundary separating the groups. This line upset the Anglos who wanted the land and who believed the Cherokees were actually allies of the Mexicans. Now, Mirabeau B. Lamar, who took Houston's place as Republic president, was an ardent foe of the Cherokees. He essentially hated all of the native tribes and he wanted them completely out of Texas. He initiated his campaign of elimination by sending troops to the Nasa Saline, that's a small community in East Texas. Now, when Chief Diwali had his people block the Texans, well, in response, Lamar told the chief that the Cherokee would be relocated beyond the Red River. His words to the chief were, peaceably, peacefully, if they would, forcibly, if they must. Now, Lamar then agreed, and well, put together a commission who were told they could compensate the Cherokees if they left their land. Cherokee said no, and the result was what is known as the Cherokee War. Now, the war, always really more of a pitched battle, took place in the summer of 1839. That was when Chief Diwali led several hundred of his warriors in a fight that took place near present-day Tyler, Texas. The result was a disaster for the Cherokee as more than a hundred warriors, including the chief, were killed. 
the Texans then drove the remaining Cherokees across the Red River into what was then labeled Indian Territory. Now we call it Oklahoma. Not all Cherokee were exiled to the territory. Some stayed and lived as fugitive in Texas, and still others moved into Mexico. There were some Cherokee who conducted raids and fought for their lands, but they had little to no success. In 1841, Sam Houston was elected to another term as president, and he instituted a policy that he thought would help end future hostilities between the tribes and the settlers. This policy gave two treaties with the Cherokees, who remained in Texas in 1843 and 1844. Now, after the Cherokees had been moved north of the Red River, they were able to unite with a much larger group of Cherokee who had been settled in the northeastern corner of the territory. In 1846, the Cherokee signed an agreement with the U.S. that specified that all the Cherokee, those from Texas and those who were already in the territory, had equal rights to the lands of the Cherokee Nation. This union lasted until the Civil War. John Ross, the primary officer of the nation, was in favor of remaining neutral. However, Stan Wati, a leader of the Southern Rights Party, wanted to fight for the South. In 1863, now in 1863, Union troops took control of the Cherokee land and many fled back into Texas. Now, after the war, as had happened many times in the past, the federal government sought to reduce the Cherokee territory. In 1866, the tribe agreed to give up the Cherokee outlet. That's an 8 million acre tract extending westward from the edge of the Cherokee Nation into the plains. Previously, this land had been set aside to guarantee that the Cherokee would have unobstructed access to Buffalo. In 1893, the federal government paid approximately $1.40 an acre and opened the land to white homesteaders. The Cherokees were exempt from the, province, from the provisions of the Dawes Severalty Act of 1887, which required tribal land to be broken up into individual allotments. But the exemption, as most agreements, was short-lived. The Curtis Act, passed in 1898, required the Cherokees to establish tribal roles and allot land to individual members on the basis of those roles. By 1907, when Oklahoma had become a state, the Cherokee lands had been severely reduced. The Cherokee never received just compensation for the lands they lost in Texas or in Oklahoma or in the East. Now, over the decades, they have tried to sue the state of Texas, but they have never were able to succeed in court. That's going to do it for this episode. For more information on this and the other topics that I've discussed, please visit the Texas State Historical Association. Next episode, it's time to take a look at the Texas Rangers, not the baseball team. These are known as Los Diablos Tejano. Talk to you then.